So I've got a presentation, prophecy presentation in 15 minutes. So we, we believe in faith. Um, we'll see what happens. So this is a scripture here from Matthew 24. So Jesus is asked a couple of questions by his disciples in Matthew 24, and one of the questions is, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? We know this passage pretty well, and it talks about a number of, Jesus immediately talks about a number of things. Uh, he talks about many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. He says you will hear wars and rumours of wars, you will hear about nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And when we look around in our world, we can see those everywhere, can't we? And we've probably heard many presentations over the years that talk about these things. But what it actually says there, when those things happen, that's the beginning of sorrows. The end isn't yet come. When we read a little bit further in Matthew 24, in verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So that's what I want to talk about today, the gospel going into all the world, preached in every nations. And you might think, well, of course, the gospel's everywhere. There's Christians in pretty much every country in the world at the moment, people who call themselves Christians. What's the big deal about that? But if we put ourselves back at the time when Jesus said this, we need to consider the situation. So Jesus was not a few, only a few days before he was crucified. Who was at the temple when he spoke these words. He had followers, but a relatively small number of followers. We read on the day of Pentecost, there's only 120 of them who hung around. And Jesus said these words with a relatively small group. And he was in Jerusalem, which is a pretty unimportant Roman outpost. And who would have thought that those words would be true? that this gospel that Jesus spoke about would actually reach the entire world. That's actually an incredible statement that he made. And we've seen the fulfillment in our time. So I want to talk a bit about this. I want to talk about how did this happen? Tell a bit of a story about how this happened. So I'm going to talk about the spread of the early church. Then there was a period of time, it was a fairly lengthy period of time, when the gospel actually became hidden under the guise of false religion. But during that time, it actually spread. And God used the discovery of the, of the word of God to keep the, word, the gospel moving. And finally, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, and the Holy Spirit being revealed in the last days in, in our lives as well. So I'm going to take you a bit of a journey. How did this all happen? So going back to about AD 30, when Jesus said these words, and we go back to the book of Acts, and Jesus has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and he's talking to his disciples just before he was risen, uh, went to the Father. And he says in Acts 1 verse 6, When they therefore would come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So when we read through the book of Acts, we actually see when Jesus said there, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, 
That's actually the structure of the book of Acts. If you ever, ever read it, that's where it starts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and goes throughout the Roman Empire. And so we know at AD 30 it started in Judea, which is kind of where that little circle is. You might better see that. By the time um, the book of Acts was finished, the gospel had spread through to Syria, Turkey, Greece, and Rome. There's also some traditions, not in the Bible, about the gospel spreading to other places. So, for example, in India, there's a group of people who trace their church back to Thomas, the Apostle Thomas in AD 52. In Armenia, there's a church there that traced their origins back to Bartholomew and Thaddeus, two of the apostles. And in Egypt, there's the church there, uh, tradition says that the uh, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, had actually started a church, a church in Alexandria in about 40 AD. So the Gospel had spread fairly wide by about 100 AD. In fact, there was about, about 40 churches around uh, the Asia Minor and the Mediterranean area by about 100 AD. After that era, um, the Gospel kind of spread throughout the Roman Empire, started mainly in cities before moving into the rural areas. In addition to the Roman Empire, there was also some other uh, churches sprung up in places like Persia and North Afghanistan, uh, a church called the Assyrian Church of the East. So that's by about 313 or so AD. Church, that's where the, the gospel or, or versions of the gospel had been spread. At 313 AD, something pretty amazing happened, and that was a emperor of Rome called Constantine. He uh, made Christianity the unofficial religion, not the official, but unofficial religion. Prior to that, it was illegal and you could be persecuted, and they were severely persecuted in, in the years leading up to this. And in about 380 AD, the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as the official religion. What actually happened then, as Christianity became politicised, the gospel changed and it became not the gospel anymore. It became a false doctrine. Um, and it became hidden from most people for many, many centuries. So over the next thousand years or so, this false version of the gospel, which we call Catholicism, spread right across Europe into Asia um, it actually took about a thousand years to go from um, right throughout Europe. Sort of ended up in Finland was one of the last places. Um, in addition to that, the Eastern Roman Church moved into places like Ukraine and Russia, and then the Eastern Church and, and the Roman Catholic Church moved across to a number of other places in Asia, um, through Africa, and. Around 1492, I think it was, um, the Americas, Christopher Columbus, you might have heard of him. He, uh, he went to the Americas, but he actually had a whole lot of priests on board, and the whole purpose, one of the purposes of his voyage was to try to convert the New World with his priests. So it takes us to around about the 1500s. When we get to the 1500s, an incredible event happened, and there's actually two related events happened that had a massive impact on the availability and the spread of the gospel around the world. Those two events were the translation of the Bible and from that, or related to that, the Reformation or the Protestant movement. So I'm going to read a passage in uh, Revelation here. 
um, in Revelation 10, verse 8, it says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hands and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations, tongues and kings. Now this is a, I won't go into all the details of this prophecy and, and why we believe what it's, what it's talking about. Happy to talk about that later if you want. But basically it's talking about this little book. When it's talking about that, it's actually talking about the Bible. And we know prior to the 1500s, the Bible had been translated into different languages, mainly in non-Catholic areas. Um, but by, by basically the Bible was forbidden for most people. Or if you had access to it, it was in Latin, and you couldn't read it anyway. It was in the 1500s, or from that period, when there was a massive increase in the translation of the Bible uh, into many, many different languages. Another thing that happened the century before was the invention of the printing press, or the movable printing press. And that actually allowed the Bible to be printed rather than handwritten. Imagine writing out your Bible, how long that would take, and how big it would be. So the printing press had a massive uh, um, impact at this time. So it's really, really hard to understate how important this was. Um, because that then allowed people to read the Bible for themselves in their own language, which they couldn't do. They actually had no idea. They had to rely on what the priest said or what the bishop said. In addition to that, thousands and thousands of versions of the Bible could be printed fairly cheaply and be accessed by people. And it talked about here the little book. There's another thing. The Bible could actually be printed small. Maybe not that small, but smaller than the, the massive tomes that were handwritten. And then people could actually carry it with them and, if necessary, hide it. Um, that prophecy talks about it. This, um, when you eat this book, it'll be sweet as honey, it'll give you a bitter stomach. It's sweet because now people could read the Word of God. They could see the promises of salvation, they could read the promises of joy, hope, grace. That was just so familiar to us, but it was not common. They didn't know. But it was bitter because if you were caught with one in a Catholic area, you were persecuted or killed. For instance, Tyndall, he translated one of the first versions of the English Bible who was burnt at the stake for doing it. So it was, it was sweet, but it was also bitter. The last part of that prophecy in, in Revelation talks about with that little book, you now need to prophesy before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So as people started to read the Bible, they actually realized that the Catholic Church's teachings were wrong, and they weren't alive, there wasn't what they read in their own Bible. And as a result, a lot of people left the Catholic Church and formed their own churches, um, which were called the Reformation. But in addition to that, people realized they had to tell others. So they initially started telling people where they lived, in their country, then their neighboring countries right throughout Europe, but it didn't take long for people to realize, hey, this needs to go out further from where we are. This gospel, this message, the Bible, needs to be spread further. So that initiated a period of, of Protestant teaching being spread around the world. And it was often as a part of colonization or missionary trips. And 
I'm not going to get into the politics of that, except to say um, that there were a lot of things done at that time in the name of God that weren't right. Um, okay, so over that time, the message spread, the, the Bible spread and the Protestant teaching and also the Catholic teaching spread through the remainder of the world. So it went through, did that work? I don't know if that did. Africa, Asia, um, North America, South America, Australia, the Pacific. Now, I haven't got every country there because I don't know how long it took us to do that. So we just sort of generally said every country there. Um, actually, the gospel, the Bible, the last places the Bible really reached was kind of Australia and the Pacific Islands um, in around the 1800s. Uh, this is the period when missionaries went out, as I said. Many of them died. I read some of the accounts I read really interesting. Um, some missionaries would travel to their destination with all their stuff packed in a coffin because 80% of them would die within two years, and they knew that. So they took their own coffin with them when they went to preach the, <laughs> preach their, the gospel. It's a bit cold outside. Maybe I won't go into outreach today. It sort of makes you think, doesn't it? Um... So by the end of the 1800s, so basically the Protestant Catholic doctrines has been preached in most of the world, and the Bible was basically available in many, many languages. Uh, it taken about 1800 years for the Bible, for the message to be preached by Jesus Christ, and for the Bible to reach, let's say, Vanuatu. 1800 years. So at that time, the seed had been sown and the ground had been prepared. Okay, keep moving. There's a prophecy in Joel, uh, Joel about this. Uh, nation of Israel, but it has an application to us as well. And it talks about there, there'll be a latter, a former rain and there'll be a latter rain. And we know the former rain was when the gospel was first preached in the day of Pentecost and they received the Holy Spirit and the gospel went out and spread. Then there was that period of, of Christianity as such, where the details of the gospel were hidden or they were incompletely understood. Um, but it kind of spread throughout the world in that state. Um, people still received the Holy Spirit during that time. I think about my mum. She read the Bible. No one had spoken to her. Then she was just singing a, a song she remembered from when she was a kid in Sunday school and started singing in another language. She received the Holy Spirit before anyone spoke to her. I'm sure there's testimonies in this room of other people receiving the Spirit without being preached to. The Lord will answer his promises if you call out him. That would have happened right throughout history. But starting around the turn of the 1900s, this latter rain started, and we call it the Pentecostal revival. So I kind of think of like the ground had been prepared and the scene had been sown by this knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of God, the access to the Bible was there. All that needed was that rain, the rain of the Holy Spirit. And then it came, the latter rain came, and there was, there's now been this massive revival of the Holy Spirit ever since. So the Pentecostal revival started with people read those promises in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. They called out to the Lord. He filled them with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and they wanted to share that with others. You might have heard of a place called Azusa Street revival. That only went for three years. But after that, most of those people went back to their towns in the United States and they told their towns and their people what they experienced. And from that, the gospel sort of grew, grew, grew and grew and grew. We're actually a consequence of that here. So over the last 100 years or so, there's actually been a massive movement of that. Now, just to give you some numbers, um, 
Estimates are there are over 279 million people who identify as Pentecostal right now. Um, academics say the Pentecostal movement has been the fastest growing religion of any time throughout history. Now we know not everyone who identifies as Pentecostal preaches the full gospel. You know that. My own experience is that when I was in the Solomon Islands uh, a number of years ago, we spoke to some people who lived in the Pentecostal area and they'd had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 70s. Many people filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, but they never taught what to do with it. When we spoke to them about what we experienced, what the Bible speaks about, they said, that happened to us, that happened to us. And we said, what happened now? They said, oh, well, we sort of died out. But we want to tell, we've asked our pastors if we tell the young people what happened to us. And they said, our pastor said, we don't want you to tell them, don't tell them. So these, there's Pentecostals and there's Pentecostals, isn't there? So, that just makes it, for me, so much more important that we stand up and preach the gospel. Because someone has to. It's so important that we're preaching this gospel. So in addition to that, right now, we're at a time in history when the gospel could be understood and accessed easier than ever. So that September last year, whole or parts of the Bible have been translated into 3,589 languages with plans to do the remainder of languages over the next few years. Internet and smartphones, apps, makes the Bible so much more accessible. Our sister Lisa shared a testimony about using the Bible and she loved the English version, the Chinese version, to spread the gospel. But the importance of that is some countries you can't access the Bible. It's illegal or you'll be persecuted. People can access the Bible there now through the internet in ways they never could before. So what does that all mean? And why have I gone through all that? Oh, it's gone through the world. I've got about that animation. Okay, in Second Peter, it says uh, in verse chapter three, verse three, it says, "Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." So Jesus said, "This gospel will be preached everywhere. Then the end." will come. People say, well, he's not here. What's going on? Has he forgotten? They scoff. Later on in this chapter, in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering to us, with not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because the gospel hasn't reached everyone who needs to reach. What I love about this prophecy of Jesus is that we're a part of it. When you or I are preaching the gospel, we're fulfilling that prophecy. When we're preaching it to our neighbour, to our colleague, to wherever it is, or if you happen to go overseas and preach the gospel, you are fulfilling that prophecy, taking that gospel to all mankind. So the Lord can't come back to the last one. Maybe you'll bring that last one. And that's the end. 